Welcome to uh, Live Free Church. Uh, we are glad that you've joined us today. If you're new or visiting, you picked a fun week to join us. Um, we're doing a series called Money, Sex, Power, and the Gospel, and uh, I ended up with the sex talk. Um, so some of you are going to be really uncomfortable over the next 25 minutes, which includes me. Um, we're going to be talking about sex because um, it's really important that the church talks about sex. Um, our public schools talk about it. The internet talks about it. Uh, the media we consume talk about it. The culture talks about it. And the church needs to also talk about it. Um, I believe that we are in a, a crisis uh, where sex has become highly individualized, where um, it has become selfish, where there's apps out there where you can get it anywhere, anytime. There's websites that are easy to access, and, and our culture is teaching a distorted view of God's intention around sex. So this needs to be an ongoing conversation that we have. Um, and here's where we're going to go today, so there's no surprises. First, we're going to talk about why sex is good. Second, we're going to look at two teachings of sex um, that have come against it, and that's religion and culture. And then we're going to focus um, more heavily on the culture end of things because I think that's what we're most influenced by. Um, and then we're going to see how the gospel redeems it. So before we get into it, I want to consider a few things. First is that we all come into this room with ideas, um, experiences, family of origins, differing influences, differing teachings that's been taught to us. And so my ask would be that you would take a moment uh, to posture your heart to hear from God. Uh, we tend to come into sometimes su touchy subjects like this, emotionally fueled and highly camped in our positions and our beliefs. And so if you hear something that, that doesn't resonate well, um, my ask would be that you just pray through that. The second thing is that um, sex can be triggering for some of you. Uh, you may have painful memories or deep anxieties around it, and, and unfortunately, evil people have used sex in evil ways to deeply physically and emotionally hurt you. Um, and I want to say that that does break God's heart. Um, sex was never designed to be used in that way, and if you need anything from us, we would be happy to recommend resources, counselors, people to pray with you because we believe that Jesus does want to redeem and restore sex in your life. Third thing is I know that this topic won't apply necessarily to everyone um, in some aspects because not everyone's called to be married, um, and that's okay. Singleness is a high calling. Um, it's a biblical calling. But I do think that we all need to have an understanding biblically of what sex is. And then the fourth thing is that I can't cover everything. This is a huge topic. Um, and we're going to go where I believe that God has impressed on my heart uh, where to take this. Uh, but if there's certain aspects that or more questions that you have on this, uh, keep the conversation going. So we're going to be bouncing around a few passages today. And I want to start with this idea that sex is good. Because I think often we come to these topics, both um, money, power, and sex, assuming that it's just evil. Because more often than not, we see these things abused. But that's not necessarily true. Both money, sex, and uh, power can be redeemed by the gospel and can be used how God intended it to be. So we're looking at this idea that sex is good. And I want to point you to the, the first chapter of the Bible. The first thing that God ever commands humans to do in the Bible is to have sex. 
Genesis 1.29 says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's the first commandment of the Bible. Have sex and procreate. Later in that same passage, it says um, in verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So there's two things that we learn about sex here. Is first of all, it's commanded by God, and it's really good. Everything God creates in his intention is good. And to take that further in the, in the context of the covenant of marriage, because this command was given to Adam and Eve, sex is for you to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God richly provides us with all things to enjoy. That includes sex, which is a gift from God to be enjoyed. So what is sex? Um, the Bible tells us that it is a sacred act. And there's a few things that happens when you have sex. First is procreation. We've, we've just seen that. Sex is, is sacred because with God, it co-creates a new human soul. It creates new people. It creates families. It creates communities. Everyone around you, including you, was created through the act of sex. Second is also that sex delights. It's an analogy of the, the self-giving that we see within the Trinity, it's about giving to another person. A pastor named Tim Keller says this, sex is supposed to be wonderful because it mirrors the joy of the relationship in the Trinity and because it points to the eternal ecstasy of the soul that we will have in heaven in our loving relationships with God and with one another. So sex can be enjoyed. Third thing is that sex unifies. The, the Bible is full of covenants. Covenants with God and covenants with people. And one of the covenants is marriage. A marriage covenant creates a place of security and vulnerability. A marriage covenant, um, as Keller would say again, a covenant is necessary for sex, but also sex is necessary for the covenant of marriage. The covenant will grow stale unless we continually revisit it and reenact it. So sex is a covenant renewal ceremony for marriage. It's the physical reenactment of the inseparable oneness that we have with our spouse. And what is that oneness? Well, we see it in, in many things. It's expressed in many different ways, like having one last name or living in one house, sleeping in one bed, sharing one bank account, worshiping one God, having sex with that one person. So it renews and it revitalizes the marriage covenant. And that's why it's only meant for the context of marriage. It's a covenant renewal of the oneness that you have with your spouse. So sex is good. It is to be stewarded well. It is to be guarded as sacred. It is to be enjoyed, and it is a gift to be shared together for God's glory. Now the problem is that we have sin in the world. We have sinful natures, and sometimes good gifts become gods, or in other ways, we've, we say idols often, where it becomes the thing that we actually worship. And so I want to look at two um, distorted teachings on sex that I have seen. The first one is religion. The second one is, is culture's teaching. I'm going to look at both. The first one is religion. In a lot of ways, religion has distorted sex. And depending on what era you were raised in the church or, or, or Christianity or what you were taught about sex in the home, you might have heard everything that you're not allowed to do. All the, the don'ts. 
don't sleep around, don't watch porn, don't masturbate, don't inappropriately touch each other, don't sleep together before marriage, don't, don't, don't. Now the problem with that is that though that is true, the teaching only gives you what sex isn't. And therefore, often, sex is just equated with being bad, vulgar, or off-putting. And it actually introduces shame and guilt around it. I was, I've talked to a few pastors who've counseled newlyweds who grew up on this type of teaching. And they were taught all these don't principles. Don't do this. Don't ever do that. And the problem is when they, when they got married, there was so much guilt and shame attached around sex that they couldn't engage in it without feeling guilty or shamed. They had always viewed sex what they, they, can't, what it, they couldn't do, but never what it should be. And that's a tragedy. And that's why we need to talk about it more often in the church. Sex was never designed to be used for guilt or for shame. It was designed by God to be used for God's glory in the marriage covenant. And if that's been your experience, I want to encourage you that, that sex is not bad. That God is actually glorified when you have sex with your spouse. And I'll show you what I mean. I want to point you to a book of the Bible called Song of Songs, or in some translations, it's Song of Solomon. And this is a book in your Bible, and it's erotic love poetry. And it's basically this big love song about a king and his bride. And, the, and it depicts the beauty and the mystery of, of sexual love within the context of marriage. And there's this interesting scene where the two are, are making love and, and, and there's another voice that comes in. And it, and it says this, eat friends, drink and be drunk with love. And it's actually God's voice. And as one, one author uh, named Comer put it this way, he said, the maker of the stars is literally singing over the two naked lovers on their wedding night. God's view of sex is incredible. Even in an off-kilter world with so much pain and regret and wounding from sexuality gone wrong, God is still singing over the good gift that he created. From creation through the fall to the shattered world we now call home. And over all the noise he is still singing, it is very good as he sings over them. That's the God that we serve. He is literally singing over it. And he's glorified in it when it's used in the context of marriage according to his purpose. So you don't need to feel guilt. You don't need to feel shame about it. So that's the first distortion. And that's, that's religion. And, and I hope that wouldn't be something that we would teach, that it's dirty, gross, and vulgar, because it's not to God. God is glorified, and it's a gift that he has given. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, this is what our culture teaches about sex. And I think for a lot of us, this has been more common of the influence that we've had on us. And it's, it comes um, out of a teaching more recently in heavy force out of the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s, which was a social movement that challenged traditional views on sex. And it taught you can have sex outside of a heterosexual marriage 
It normalized public nudity. It normalized and celebrated pornography. It said you can have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want. It advocated for alternative forms of sexuality. It promoted an individualized sex. And it led ultimately to the legalization of abortion. And we see this teaching today. It's in our movies. It's in our TV shows. It's in the social media that we consume. It's taught in our schools. And and a lot of us, that's what we've been taught. And our culture worships sex. And think about advertising for a minute. Advertisers know this. Advertisers know that if they want to sell a product, they can put um, a half-naked person or a good, really good-looking person beside their product, knowing that it'll capture your attention and you'll buy that product. Because our culture worships sex. And that's when it becomes a god. That's when it becomes an idol in your life. And that's when it also comes into the church. And it happens when we don't talk about sex in the church. If your ideas and your teachings are only coming from the culture, which is currently the loudest voice on it, then of course Christians are going to have distorted views on it. I read a study this past week. Um, I read a few actually. This is one of them. And it said 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. And that was a very conservative number. Some of the other studies, it was a lot higher. And that's Christians. That's a major problem. And God is pretty clear about how sex is to be used. And pornography is not that way. Porn is an abomination and it's a distortion of, of what God intended sex to be. And so we need to talk about the dangers of that for a few moments. Because if sex becomes your God, it will enslave you and it will destroy you. That's its only goal. And some of you here today are enslaved to sex. And it has become your God. And when sex is your God, you do everything it tells you to do. Like watching porn or sleeping with your your boyfriend or girlfriend or inappropriately touching Christians, you are at war against fleshly desires. And as I was looking at passages on sex this week, I came across a ton of warnings in Scripture. And some that I think you need to hear. And these warnings are not written to the people out there. These warnings are written to Christians. And so I want to read just a few of them that I came across. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-7. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins. As we have solemnly warned you before, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Sexual immorality can become a god. Ephesians 5.5 For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral 
or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's written to Christians. I need you to see that, that God takes sexual immorality really seriously. And the problem is that 99% of us in this room are guilty because Jesus actually takes it even a step further. Jesus said, even if you look at someone with lustful thoughts, you've committed adultery in your heart. Even if you have a thought, it's the posture of your heart. It's what you're looking to. So what do we do? We all need Jesus, and thankfully he provides a way. So how does the gospel actually redeem sex? Well, first we need to understand the root of the sin. Why do you sin? Why do you keep going back to that website? Why do you have that longing in your heart that constantly needs to be fulfilled? Well, I want to turn to, if you have a Bible, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 51. And we're going to be in this passage for a little bit. This is a psalm written by King David, who was a king in the Old Testament. He had committed adultery, and he slept with another man's wife. Then he got her pregnant, and then he killed the the wife's husband to cover up his tracks. And then his sin comes to light. And this is his repentance for the sexual sin he committed. And so as, as we read it, I want you to see how David repents before God. And then I want to see where the root of the issue lies because he actually mentions it. Because until you find that root, you're going to keep going back. It's going to be a cycle and you're not going to be able to break it. And then it'll actually show us this passage too, how God can use us evangelistically in light of his mercy. So I'm going to read it, verses 1 to 11 to start. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not the Holy Spirit away from me. Let's stop there. The first part of repentance is admitting that you've sinned. David doesn't blame shift. Instead, he owns his sin before God and his posture is that he wants freedom and he wants forgiveness and mercy. How badly do you want to be forgiven and freed today? Verse 12, and this is the, the, actually the root of, of the sexual sin. Listen carefully. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You sin when you forget the joy of your salvation. 
When you forget the cross, when you forget the joy of being forgiven, you start to look elsewhere. Oh, maybe porn will bring me some joy tonight. Maybe sleeping with that other person will bring me some joy tonight. But it never satisfies, and you end up feeling worse. When you forget the cross, when you forget that Jesus died for your sins, that he has made you into a new creation, that he is um, the satisfaction that your soul is looking for and longing for, that's when you start to give in to sin. And that's when the good things that God has made gets distorted by sin. Some of you need to pray today. Restore in me the joy of my salvation. Jesus has given you everything because of his sacrifice through his life and his death and his resurrection on the cross. He's given you new life. He's made you a new creation. He has freed you from sin, Satan, and death. He's taken the punishment of your sin that you rightfully deserve. He's called you beloved, a friend, to have everlasting life with him. He's forgiven you. And that's joy. That's the joy of your salvation, that Jesus has saved you, a sinner. The moment we forget our salvation, sin is waiting for you. It wants to enslave you. It wants to be your God. It wants to take the good things that God has created and it wants to destroy them for you. Satan is destroying generations by taking something God has created to be good and distorting it so that it destroys you. Pornography is one of those tools he's using. It's highly addictive. They say it's, it's the same um, part of your brain that gets triggered when you take drugs. It greatly hurts relationships. Um, it, it distorts your view around what sex is. They say it has long-term damaging effects, psychological and mental effects on you. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants to distort it for you. He wants to ruin it for you forever. But Jesus wants to redeem it for you. My ask today would be that you'd fix your eyes on, on Jesus who can restore in you a clean heart. Turn to Jesus and ask him to create a clean heart in you. He died on the cross to forgive you. Now look at verse 13. It says this, Then I will teach my transgressions, transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. You want Jesus to redeem the city of sexual sin? It begins with you. It begins with your testimony. It begins with Jesus redeeming you so that you can teach the others the way of Jesus. That was David's posture. He had messed up, but he, watches, he wants to teach everyone else what not to do. The way of freedom, and that's the way of forgiveness. This is a statement we believe as a church about the city. The city has the potential for human flourishing and human idolatry. That's why we're talking about money, sex, and power. We minister using the gospel to both redeem and restore the culture we live in. We have a city that's enslaved by sex. And if you are willing to, to surrender your life to Jesus, to have him transform your life, especially in the area of sex, you may be the greatest evangelistic tool for sharing the power of the gospel that God can use to redeem the city. 
I believe that sex can be redeemed in our city, but it starts by having Jesus redeem it in you and in the church. Some of you today need to repent of of sexual sin. Spend time reading, meditating on Psalm 51. Nail your sin to the cross and let Jesus take it from you in exchange for mercy and forgiveness. I believe that Jesus wants to renew the joy of your salvation. He wants to redeem sex in your life. Others of you, you're like, okay, I did that, but I'm still feeling tempted constantly. Here's the thing. Satan is still at war with you, and he will be until you die. I remember talking to someone not that long ago who said, how do you, how do you just battle the constant temptation? When it's constantly in your face, you have to go to war. And the way you do that is you bring that sin to the light where it's powerless. That means confessing your sins, confessing it to someone. That means finding a mentor or someone to disciple you who can hold you accountable. Someone that can ask you on a regular basis, hey, how are you doing in this area? Or someone that you can call up and say, okay, I'm about, to, I'm about to watch something I shouldn't be watching. Can you pray for me? Or another way is memorize scripture. This is what Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, when Satan came up to him, Jesus responded with scripture every single time. And Satan was powerless. It's not going to be easy but Jesus is with you, the Holy Spirit is in you, and you have every tool to fight off temptation. But don't do it alone. Find someone to help you, to pray with you. Now I want to address this too. When someone confesses their sin to you, your job is not to condemn, your job is not to make them feel guilty or ashamed or especially to turn it into gossip. Our job as Christians is to pray for that person and point them to Jesus. Every single person in this room is guilty of sin. So don't judge them for it. We all need forgiveness. We all need to receive mercy. We all need to remember the joy of our salvation. And that's what we need to be pointing each other to. And Jesus purchased that joy of our salvation on the cross. Now for some of you, the conversation has started and 25 minutes is not enough time to really unpack much. And you may have more questions than answers, but we want to keep the the conversation going. If you need help, you don't know where to start, you don't know who to talk to, please reach out. We want to help you, we want to point you to Jesus. If you need counseling, we would be happy to recommend great counselors. If you'd like to research more, read more on it, we'd be happy to recommend resources. If you need healing and prayer, please don't leave today without someone praying for you. We would ask that we would be a a church that prays for one another. And so if you need prayer today, please don't leave in guilt or in shame. And if you're on the fence, here's the biggest lie that Satan wants to make you think, that you're the only person that's going through something. You're the only person that's doing that thing. And the problem is when you believe that lie, you become more isolated. The hardest yet most freeing thing you might do today is admit that you might have a problem. 
Jesus says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Please do not leave this place today in shame. We want you to leave experiencing mercy, forgiveness, and ultimately love from Jesus. I'll invite the Levi back up now. I would love for us to be a church that desires purity over porn. I would love for us to be a church today that offers redemption instead of condemnation. I would love for us to be a church that when you're struggling, whether that be a desire to watch something you're not supposed to or to sleep with someone you're not supposed to, that you would have the courage to call someone up and have them pray for you. Let's be a church that's focused on on eternity and that we would desire and treasure the glory of God over everything on earth. And finally, let's be a church that enjoys the good gifts that God has given us. Sex is a good gift that God has given. Please hear that today. If you're married, enjoy it, but don't worship it. Worship the God who gave it to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would have mercy on us according to your unfailing love and great compassion. Would you wash us and clean us of our sins, create in us a pure heart, renew a steadfast spirit within us. Lord, I pray you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. I pray you would remind us every day this week of your salvation purchased on the cross. God, would you use us to teach others the way of salvation? Would would our testimonies be used for your glory? God, we glorify you in all the good gifts that you have given us. I pray you would redeem sex in all of our lives because we're never too far gone. We worship you now and in song. Would you be glorified? Amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.